Hey everybody, I'm Kenji. I'm an addict and alcoholic here in Northern California. Just take a moment to kind of take a breath and be here. I know a lot of you guys, and I don't know all of you, but I, I know a lot of you. I'm at meetings with you all the time. And so this is not nearly as uncomfortable as I might have thought it. Okay, I'm 70 years old. I am in my eighth month of continuous sobriety. I first I first came to AA at the age of 32 in 1982. I've had as much as eight years of continuous sobriety from about 1984 to 1993. And from 93 um, through most of the rest of the 90s, I was completely out. That was really the, the only time I was completely away from AA or other 12-step programs. Hopefully that's all behind me. And I'm on a completely new page here. And it really feels to me much like a new page. For one thing, I've got this new paradigm of secular AA around the globe on Zoom. I feel like I've found my tribe here. I feel so comfortable sitting here. I'm not so comfortable right at this moment. Actually, you know what? I am feeling pretty comfortable right at this moment. Sitting here at my desk, looking at my two large monitors. I've got two 27-inch two monitors on my aging Mac Mini. And it allows me to see the gallery view on one screen and the speaker view plus the participants and chat menus on the other screen. And it really makes for this big immersive um, experience. And I'm kind of evangelist for doing this, for upping your hardware a little bit to get this really immersive experience. It really feels like a meeting. I can see all your faces, you know, up to 49 at one time. So I, I grew up in a household with, with no religion whatsoever. I'm Jewish by bloodline and heritage, but both my parents were non-believers. I actually don't know what they would call themselves, where they called themselves atheists or, or just or non-practicing Jews, or I don't know. I actually don't know. The only conversation we ever had about religion, my, my friends, my classmates at school, they started asking me, how come you're not in Hebrew school with us getting ready for your bar mitzvah like we are? And I had no idea. I had to go home and ask my parents, how come I'm not in Hebrew school getting ready for my bar mitzvah? And they said, because we don't believe in that. We just believe in being good people. And that is the only conversation I can remember ever having had with my parents about religion, about my heritage, about anything like that. And I was okay. I mean, I, I don't remember pursuing it. I just went, okay. My, my relation with my parents was, they were good people. I don't think they had a really good grasp on how to really fit in the world. I learned about that from them, so I didn't have a very good grasp about fitting in the world. The first time that religion ever came up was when I came to AA at 32. People were saying the Lord's Prayer. People were saying other prayers. I mean, it was God, 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 God. I kind of liked AA right from the beginning. I mean, people seemed to be having a good time there. And I, at that point, was not having a good time at all. So I wanted to be part of, I can remember, they said, go home and pray. And I remember actually trying to, like, looking at pictures of, like, the praying hands and trying to, like, model that. Or, like, how do I hold my hands? And people say, get on your knees. So I did it for a bit. But very early on in my sobriety, I um, found, I don't know how I found it. I think I just noticed it in the, in the meeting directory and said, oh, look at this meeting and went to scope it out. I liked looking through the meeting directory and exploring meet and just going and looking for new meetings. And I guess I still do that on, on Zoom in secular AA. So I started going to We Agnostics, which was a secular meeting, once a, you know, a Friday night meeting in Hollywood. I lived in LA at the time. And the founder of that group, a guy named Charlie Palachek, who in the, in the histories 
that have been written about secular AA, um, you can definitely read about him. When I met him in the, in the early 80s, he was 20-something years sober. That meeting in LA had started in 1980. He had brought the format from Austin, Texas, where he had lived before that. So the earliest secular meeting I know of apparently was in Austin in the 70s. So Charlie would say he came into AA an atheist and 20 years of sobriety had made him a better atheist. But then he'd go on to say that there was no step he couldn't work as an atheist. And he'd even say that he believed in prayer as a good psychotherapy. So what that did for me is it made me, first of all, stop pretending that I was in the seminary and holding my hands just so on my knees to say prescribed prayers. Although I still did say, say, say some prayers. I've, I've said the third step prayer a zillion times, although I memorized it in modern English, not with King James English, which is, seemed always seemed bizarre to me. But I got from Charlie, it was definitely possible to work these steps in a way that worked for me and that I didn't need to do things which just really didn't fit with me, like prayer. So I pretty much stopped praying, but I did not stop looking at the steps. I know a lot of people in secular AA say that they only work some steps, they don't work any steps at all because they got step two, where it talks about God, and step three, where it talks about God, and okay, I gotta stop right there, or just skip those steps, skip step seven. Largely due to Charlie's early influence, I realized I didn't have to do that. Okay, let me go back and talk about what got a little bit what got me to AA. I grew up in a suburb of New York City, and I ended, went to NYU uh, to go to film school. So I moved into Manhattan. And at the time, the drinking age in New York was 18, so that I, so I could drink in bars for my first day, and I did. Also, bars were open until 4 a.m. Last call was at 4 a.m., and then there were these really fun, seedy, after hours clubs, they would open at four. They would be open from four until sometime in the early morning. So I was burning the candle at both ends all the way through college. I was not, I did not do outstandingly there. I did not graduate. I went for four years, but I, but I got about three years worth of credits in four years. Um, I got a lot of incompletes for not having finished the um, coursework in many classes because I was, I was out drinking until four, five, six, seven in the morning, many, many days. In my mid-20s, I decided to move to LA and see if I could apply to this, um, this training program to get into the union out there, which is a very, was one of the most closed um, trade unions in America, it was the, was the Hollywood Camry Union. It was almost entirely male, nepotism. Fathers would bring their sons in as their assistants and then kind of move them up on, on credits to see the same names generation after generation. And this training program I got into was meant to counter lawsuits against them being closed and, and discriminatory. They would bring in 10 trainees every other year of um, paid training, you'd get a union card. And I applied for that program once, uh, didn't make it past a written test. Thousands of people would apply for this. The first, the first stage of testing was like a college board exam. And then they would take the, um, the top 100 people on that test and give them personal interviews at one of the studios and pick 10. So I didn't get past the written test the first year, but two, the next time, two years later, having seen what the test was like, I crammed college board review books and I managed to get past the written test, went for the interview. 
actually got picked for this training program and then did what I had always done, which is to burn the candle at both ends. I did get through the program. I did get my union card, but I was still going out and drinking. California last call was earlier and that really aren't after hours clubs. So I was getting to bed earlier. But when I graduated, almost immediately when I started making good union wages, somebody offered me a gram of Coke on the set. Want to buy some Coke? And I went, uh, sure. Not really knowing what that drug was, but I bought it anyway and went home. This would have been on payday. I went home and um, basically had a wild, isolated party by myself um, involving a lot of porn and masturbation and ran out of Coke around the time that my alarm clock should have been going off. I went, oh, my God, you know, like reality came back in and slapped me in the face. I went, oh, my God, and called in sick. Uh, told them I broke a tooth. I had a dental emergency. And calling in sick uh, as a second assistant cameraman, what they call in the UK, clapper loader, was pretty bad because then the crew had to scramble around doing my job until they could get somebody in, the, in production to call the union to try to get somebody else to cover it. So basically, my bosses would be scrambling around doing my job. And that was not cool. I showed up on Monday. Then Thursday came. And I thought, Better get some Coke for the weekend. And I bought a gram of Coke, did the exact same thing, called in sick the next morning. So I called two consecutive Fridays. I called in sick. I told him the tooth broke again, another dental emergency, and I was fired. So what was supposed to be a uh, maybe 10 months of work turned out to be six, six weeks. I was out of work for a few weeks. I got hired on another show. It did the exact same thing. I lasted exactly six weeks. I got fired for calling in two Fridays in a row. And then I learned my lesson, which was to go to work on Friday, uh, no matter what. And that's what I proceeded to do for the next few years, was go to work on Friday, um, no matter what. And what was always the same, which was crashing, falling on my face, feeling awful, just praying to get through the day and get to my bed at the end of the shift. And then the next week would come along and I would go, I've got a good idea. Let me get some Coke for the weekend. and. That was the next several years until this guy took me out to a bar with a bartender dealt crystal meth over the bar. And I thought, ah, now this is my solution right here. I'll do that on Thursday night instead of Coke. And I'll still be wide awake on Friday morning. I'll go in and I'll give him a hell of a day's work. And I was wide awake come the time my alarm clock should have been going off on Friday morning. But I couldn't tear myself away from the, from the cloud I was in. And I just didn't show up. I didn't call. I didn't show. And I actually got away with that once. I'd been working for this particular crew I was working with for about three or four years now. I went back and did the same thing again. I called in sick on Friday. When I showed up on Monday, the crotchety old director of photography called me over his chair. Come here, kid. And he's, he's grumbling. He's pissed. I didn't hear really what he was saying. And I'm trying not to look in his eyes. The only part of it I heard was at the end, he looked up at me and he goes, next time's the last time. That I heard. And I swore to myself it was not going to happen. And the next time was the following Friday. And this time I just called in around noon, talked to one of the assistant directors, and I just said, please give them the message that I'm alive, but I'm not coming back. I'll be in to pick up my equipment when I can. And they said, yeah, fine. And that was that. And that's what brought me to AA. I had not been doing well for a long time, but suddenly I was unemployable. And I didn't see that I was going to get another show that I was going to, I mean, I just felt like I'd been sliding downhill and now I'd gone off the cliff. And that was the place where I came to AA. I came to AA, I was really kind of surprised by AA. 
I figured I was this was this was the end of the road and it was going to be really bleak. And I came to meetings and people were having a great time. Funny speakers. It was a pretty positive place. And like I said, I found the agnostics group. I kind of realized that I didn't have to become Christian in order to be an AA. I kind of found my way of doing it. It worked out for me, but I was always reluctant to really delve into it. I thought you people say what you say because that's what you're supposed to say. You're parroting you're parroting stuff, but I really somehow didn't believe that the connections that you guys seem to have with each other were available to me somehow. The story I told myself, I'm kind of here over outside the circle. And I felt the same way in AA too. I think it was just the stories I told myself. At eight years sober, I relapsed. I set this kind of pattern where I would be in and out. Um, I think at one point I had a year and a half but mostly it would be like six months sober, two weeks out to two months out, and then back again, right up pretty much until the pandemic. And then I found Zoom meetings, and then I found secular AA on Zoom. Now it feels completely different. Maybe I'm telling myself a story that I've reinvented myself into something completely new, and it's a pink cloud that's going to burst. But I hope not. I don't think so. It feels really real. I feel really connected to this fellowship now. I've found ways of working the steps. I moved to San Francisco at about, I don't know, six years sober, something like that. I went to a couple of secular meetings, atheist agnostic meetings up here. I didn't really dig them very much. So I kind of settled into mainstream AA. And that pretty much continued right up until seven months ago, seven, eight months ago. I've always done the steps just the way the big book lays out. I've kind of interpreted the steps in a more secular humanist way, but I'm very big book oriented. And some ways, secular AA, while I love it, has been a bit of an adjustment because a lot of people here don't believe in the steps at all. They consider the big book a piece of trash, certainly not everybody. So I've really had to come to terms with how do I fit in this program? How does it really work for me? And that's actually, while it's been challenging, it's also been kind of invigorating. It's, it's very cool. I'm really figuring out what, what is this thing about the steps? My sponsor, I have a secular sponsor. He asked me the other day, what steps do you think you need to do? What steps are important? Do you think there's, that you need the steps at all? And it really had me thinking about it. What do the steps mean for me? to me? That's been interesting. I think that in, in essence, it's noticing that this thing works, wanting to be part of it, deciding to heal myself in, clean house, find some well-being practice, practices, and be part of, uh, help others. And that's the essence of the steps. And it doesn't have to be like, for instance, I know that my friend in Oregon um, doesn't formally work the steps, but I think she very much works the, works the principles of them and has definitely doing the flow of them. So I've had to kind of re, rethink what, what this stuff is really about. And that's been a good process. And Kenji 2.0 is a lot more positive and happier person than Kenji 1.0 has ever been. I really don't think that's a pink cloud. And I really don't want to throw my sobriety away again, like I have many times before. Because what I lose when I do that is not past. It's not like somebody comes off and rips the stripes off my shoulder and says, you're busted, mister. What I lose is the future is what's in front of me. And I don't want to keep doing that. Thanks a lot.